The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Good morning. I'm Brian Curtis. And I'm Doug Krisner. Here are the stories we're following today. U.S. bank stocks fell after Moody's downgraded 10 small and medium-sized American lenders, and it said that it might do the same with a handful of major firms. Moody's said that higher funding costs, potential regulatory capital weaknesses, and rising risks tied to commercial real estate are all strains that are prompting the review. Now, we heard from Richard Beauvais at Odeon Capital. He said the move came late for Moody's. I think that uh, when the second quarter earnings came out, it was evident that the banking industry was uh, suffering. And the reason why it was suffering is because basically as interest rates go up, and this sounds stupid to say, the value of financial assets go down. And if you took a look at the balance sheet of each one of these banks, the value of their financial assets were going down very, very sharply. That meant that the industry was in trouble. Shares declined for firms that had their ratings cut, including M&T Bank, closing down 1.4 percent, and also the KBW Regional Bank Index was down 1.4 percent. We got a surprise earnings report after the bell today from the nation's number two ride-hailing service. That story from Bloomberg's Tom Busby. Everything seemed to align for Lyft last quarter, which had been struggling to bounce back from the pandemic lockdowns and a shortage of drivers. But recent cost-cutting measures seemed to have worked, and lower fare prices drew back more riders to the service. That helped Lyft beat Wall Street estimates and even raise its outlook for the current quarter. Revenue for the second quarter, just over $1 billion, where earnings coming in at $0.16 cents a share. Analysts were expecting a loss of $0.01 cent per share. Shares of Lyft soaring in after-hours trading. Tom Busby, Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. Actually, there was a, a quick change in after hours and Lyft shares are now down 5.8%. Rivian nudged up on its production guidance for the year and narrowed its loss expectation. This comes after the company narrowly missed its production target last year. It grappled with supply constraints and rising competition. Rivian cited an improved supply chain outlook for its revised expectations. We get the story from Bloomberg's Ed Ludlow. They raised guidance modestly for the year by 2,000 units, 52,000 EVs across their two consumer vehicles and the van that they build for Amazon. I reported earlier in the year that Rivian executives had told staff that actually their plan is to build 62,000. But what's interesting about this print is that they are showing the benefits of scaling up. And that's Ed Ludlow. Separately, Rivian reported second quarter earnings that beat analyst expectations, and the shares currently are up 1.3% in late trading. WeWork said there is substantial doubt about its ability to continue operating. The company cited sustained losses along with canceled memberships for its office spaces. Now, WeWork is going to focus over the next year on reducing rental cost, negotiating more favorable leases, and increasing revenue. The company also wants to raise 
raise a little bit of capital. Now, this warning comes just months after WeWork struck a deal with some of its biggest creditors and SoftBank to reduce its debt load by around $1.5 billion. WeWork shares are down in late trading. Brian? Well, Chinese developer Country Garden's stock and bonds plunged as note holders said that they had not yet received coupon payments. Bloomberg's Bonnie Ao has more from Hong Kong. The note holders said they had not received payments as of yesterday afternoon. Data show the company owed $10.5 million of interest on a dollar bond that matures in 2026. Another $12 million is due on a note maturing in 2030. In a statement, Country Garden said a deterioration in sales and a refinancing environment has hurt its cash flow. Country Garden is one of the few major Chinese developers yet to default, and a failure to pay would pummel market confidence. The builder is facing more than $2 billion of bond payments over the rest of this year. In Hong Kong, I'm Bonnie Al, Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. A couple of other stories we'll be looking at. China says it's Europe's own fault uh, for the soaring trade deficit with with Beijing. China says that it wants to buy more high-tech goods but cannot. And also, uh, we, we had the weak China export and import numbers yesterday, Doug, and, and it, tur- it turns out that the U.S. is now buying uh, more goods from Mexico and Canada than from China. The U.S. buying 25% less in the first half of this year than last year in terms of the value value of goods. And added to that, Taiwan's trade surplus surging to a record high. So a lot's happening on the trade front. Yeah, we knew, Brian, that the U.S. was planning at some point to restrict investment in China. Well, now we're being told that the restrictions will likely apply only to Chinese companies that get at least half of their revenue from cutting edge areas like quantum computing and artificial intelligence. One source is a part of this story, which you can find on the Bloomberg terminal, incidentally, said that this order expected to be announced in the coming days by the Biden administration is going to prohibit investment in AI for military end users. Notification will be required for investments in other AI activities. Yeah, there's just so much tension between the two. It's a little more than it's a pullback on it. And the headline in all the papers today in, in Hong Kong and uh, likely in China as well will be things like de-risking and reshoring, mm. chipping away at China's trade picture, chipping away at China's exports. <laughs> so we'll be covering that uh, in greater detail all throughout the program. Now it's time for Global News. Well, let's get right over to Ed Baxter. We are looking at China, no longer the U.S. largest importer of goods, which I just headlined there. Ed Baxter has more from San Francisco. Ed. Yeah, let's detail it out, Brian. China now sells fewer goods to the U.S. and Mexico or Canada. Bloomberg Emerging Markets correspondent Sherry Ahn says the U.S. imported about 25 percent year to year less from China the first six months of the year. According to analysts, um, perhaps the supply chain diversification is working against China. I had an emerging markets analyst from Delta saying, you know what, Mexico is a more interesting story because yeah. the realignment of supply chains is already happening that way, especially with those trade tensions, geopolitics being an issue and the economic recovery slumping. Now, goods from Mexico in the same period were up 5.4%. So for the U.S., uh, trade partners now, Mexico, Canada, China, Germany, and Japan. A former co-CEO of FTX, Ryan Salem, is in negotiations with prosecutors reportedly to plead guilty to criminal charges. Sources are saying that the Republican mega-donor may enter a plea as soon as next month that may include campaign finance law violations. Uh, Bloomberg's Ava Barry Morrison says 
This has been a long time in coming. Ryan Salem uh, had a bit of an insight into the political fund, um, sorry, political donation side of FTX. So I think it took them a long time to get information about what he was involved in, cross-check that with other people as well. FTX had made donations to both Republicans and Democrats. At this point, it is unclear whether he will enter into cooperation deal to testify against co-founder Sam Bankman-Fried. July, now officially the Earth's hottest month on record, taking that record away from a year earlier, July. Uh, the average temperatures hit a Paris cap of 1.5 Celsius uh, during uh, that was covered in the Accord. Now, the Arctic sea ice dropped 15% below average. It is the lowest level since satellite observations began. The EU Copernicus Climate Change Service is warning of dire consequences if the trend is not reversed. Ron DeSantis has brought in a new campaign manager, and Bloomberg's Wendy Benjaminson says James Uthmeyer has served as chief of staff in DeSantis' governor's office, but... Has never run a presidential campaign before. And there are lots of people in this town who have run presidential campaigns, but he's so keeps so closely to the people he knows and trusts that he's putting inexperienced people in charge. Uh, detractors say insulating himself with cronies from Florida. This follows a string of layoffs and strategy shifts aimed at addressing declining polling numbers. State leaders in Maryland are surveying the damage from yesterday's major storm activity. A stretch of highway had a row of utility poles lining it and 47 people trapped inside their cars because of it. Governor Wes Moore says they were all rescued, but sections of the state are thrashed. This is going to take some time to fix. The damage from last night is significant. The authorities say most of the remaining customers without power will be restored by tomorrow night. Global News, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in over 120 countries. In San Francisco, I'm Ed Baxter, and this is Bloomberg. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. I'm Brian Curtis here in Hong Kong, along with Rashad Salamat in London. A flash here across the Bloomberg terminal. Amazon is in talks to be an anchor investor in the ARM IPO. So that is the unit of SoftBank that's coming to market, we think, quite soon. And that, of course, or this story here from Reuters. So we'll get you details on that as much as we can uh, going forward. Let's get to our guest, Sarah Ponzak, Vice President, UBS Private Wealth Management. 
Well, I mentioned that we we did see uh, we did see some losses on Wall Street today, but they were they were um, not as bad so as to uh, take away the gains we saw yesterday. And we also had the dip buyers kind of entering the frame today. So I'm not sure how to frame the action today, but it seems a little more negative than perhaps uh, the way I've just put it. Sarah, your thoughts on the action today? I think we have to put it in context of the pretty unbelievable year that we've seen for stocks so far. You know, through July, the first seven months of the year, the S&P 500 was up about 20%. That was the best start to a year in the first seven months since 1997. So, so pretty phenomenal. And when you think about the shift that we saw from last year, year, through the beginning of the year, through the middle of 2023, it's really been this change in perception of the assumption and the expectation that we're going to fall into a recession to, you know, everyone kind of now believing and the consensus being that we're going to have a soft landing. So, when we think about these past couple of months, you think about that shift to, you know, investors, economists throwing away that recession call, now believing in a soft landing. There really not being much negative news over the course of the summer to all of a sudden a week like last week in which we get the Fitch downgrade of U.S. sovereign debt and then a day like today in which you have the Moody's downgrade of regional banks. It's just negative news in this stock market world in which there really hasn't much yeah. been much negative news. So it's healthy to see you know some volatility on the negative news. And if anything, it seems complacency is more so a risk at this point in yeah. time. Complacency being the watchword, Sarah, given that we saw the S&P banking index after those uh, downgrades from uh, Moody's sending the uh, uh, banking index absolutely to the floor and then a recovery, a massive recovery to just be just off the uh, the gain line, as it were. Should people be worried? It does portend for, of course, uh, more liquidity tightening and uh, loans which would not be given out, which are all going to do the Fed's job in some ways or amplify what the Fed's doing. Right. So it, it's interesting to see that whereas heading into the year originally, you know, the impetus for investors was, was more so to fade gains, believing that they wouldn't be sustained and how quickly that has changed, you know, in the face of FOMO, fear of missing out to dip buying whenever we do see some type of downdraft in the market, because, you know, some people now believe that we are going to see, you know, further gains. And if, if they sold and went to cash at the beginning of the year, it's a difficult position to be in and, and you feel as though you need to, to get in at some point in time. So we do see this impetus of, of dip buying now. But when we think about, you know, the larger ramifications of the downgrades that we did see from Moody's on some of those regional banks, this is not entirely new news. Yeah, you know, we have been listening to and thinking about what is going on in the banking system for months now after what we saw with, you know, a couple regional bank failures. Uh, and again, this sheds more light and it does bring focus back to the fact that, you know, the fallout that we saw with a few regional banks it's very possible it's not over. There could be more dominoes to fall. And we need to take, you know, we need to take stock of that when we think about our, the overall U.S. banking system. But really, all in all, this isn't necessarily new news. 
Yeah. Uh, in, in terms of, uh, well, I, I imagine, uh, you know, you have some uh, contact with high net worth individuals. I'm curious whether or not they're talking more about diversification now rather than riding the gains that we saw in the first part. And if so, what are they diversifying into? They are. I actually had a, a conversation with a high net worth client individual today who was asking, okay, you know, should we be diversifying out of some of these high flying big tech names that have really driven the gains this year. And our response was, yes, if, especially if you have more exposure to some of these names that have just led the way this year than even the index, then yes, it could it could take sense to take some chips off the table and diversify those gains a bit. So what we've been saying, UBS's chief investment office has really been pounding the table on two key themes. One of them being, you know, if you missed out on the gains this year, or if you are not diversified, if you have a significant amount of capital tied up in just a few big tech names, maybe it does make sense to now look to the laggards, look to value, look to more defensive areas of the market, maybe look to an equal weight version of the S&P 500. Yeah, and we absolutely. have seen this broadening out over the past couple, uh, the past month or so. You know, you look at yeah, value stocks, you look at small yeah, caps, yeah. It, it, it has happened. It definitely has happened, Sharon. We've noted it on this program quite a lot. Uh, RSP is one ETF that one can look at uh, for the equal weight. Uh, we enjoyed the conversation, Sarah. Thank you. Sarah Ponzak, Vice President, UBS Private Wealth Management. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia, your morning brief on the stories making news from Hong Kong to Singapore and Wall Street. Look for us on your podcast feed every day on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each day on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM Channel 119, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Brian Curtis. And I'm Doug Krisner. Join us again tomorrow for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.